Hello, and welcome to The Exit, presented by Flippa, the number one platform to buy and sell online businesses. Flippa manages over a billion in deal value annually and combines expert buy and sell side advisory with its market-leading valuation tool, deal room, off-market offering, market insights, and AI-based deal-by-deal matching engine. Now for The Exit. The Exit is a 30-minute podcast featuring awesome entrepreneurs who have been there and they have done it. The Exit talks to operators who have bought and sold businesses of all different sizes. You learn how they did it, why they did it, and get exposure to the world of Exits. It's a world occupied by a small few, but accessible to many. On this episode of The Exit, I sit down with Diego Sampaio. He's an awesome entrepreneur that came from Brazil and is now in Orlando, Florida. We walk through all of his career from the point where he was 16 years old, starting a hosting service for Brazil, where he was buying all these different types of credits in the US and putting them down into Brazil and getting his business up and running. And then when he was 18, he could finally form that business. And we fast forward through kind of the different iterations of that over the course of his career, which is really fun to see an international entrepreneur at this scale going between Brazil and a bunch of different countries, really unlocking the power of the US. He talks about his venture after that, where he was going in and basically using gift cards and you know he saw it in the US and then decided to do it in the Brazil area with companies that had 500 or 1000 stores wanted these different gift cards and just the ingenuity here is really fantastic of seeing a problem that didn't exist where he was from and translating that back down into where he was from. So another piece to this that I think is really a great part of the conversation is around finding value for a potential acquiring company. And this was fun to walk through with Diego because his company wasn't profitable when it got acquired or the first company that he exited. He's exited multiple businesses and he unpacks that in the interview. But the first one was it wasn't a profitable business, but they defined the value of their traffic of their social network that they had built And they defined that and extrapolated a valuation for the acquiring social network that bought them. And this was in like the early 2010s. And it's such a great way of painting the picture of value to a partner or a customer or an acquiring company. It's really just forming your message for that company specifically. And it's just a great example of how you can paint that picture. So without further ado, let's sit down here and talk to Diego Sampaio, this awesome entrepreneur based here in Orlando, Florida. All right. I am here with Diego Sampaio, and he is currently the founder and CEO of USA E-Commerce Fulfillment. How's it going, Diego? Oh, good, Steve. Thanks so much for the opportunity, man. Yeah. I'm really excited to to get into the, the nitty gritty here. But before we get into it, let's talk about how you got started, your origin story, and what got you into business and entrepreneurship. Sure, sure. So, well, I'm 37. I'm originally from Brazil. But I've been living here in uh, Florida since 2014. And uh, I think that I was like probably the first generation that grew up with internet. 
So when I was like 11 or 12 years old, my father gave me a computer. I started like doing some HTML, developing websites. And that's actually when I started my endeavors. So I was developing websites for my father, for my father friends. And from there, I learned how to build up, not a business, but something on the internet that after that became a business. And uh, um, that's how my entrepreneur journey started. So, I mean, I've been doing... Uh, my, I founded my my first company when I was uh, 16, and since then, for the last 21 years, I've been uh, going to different endeavors and finding new problems to try to to solve it. Nice. So let's talk about the first initial venture. What was it that you really got started with initially uh, with with business? Sure, sure. So I mean, it was for, uh, it was early the 2000s, so about 2002. Uh, uh, at that time, I was living in Brazil again. I was like 16 years old, and I started uh, uh, purchasing a uh, uh, web hosting package here in the US and reselling that in Brazil. So I would start with like the uh, old virtual private servers, get a cPanel, starting creating web hosting accounts, and then resell that for uh, Brazilian companies. That uh, later on, when I turned 18, I became like legal. Uh, able to open up the business legally, open up the business. So I had the f- help of my father to open up the first company in Brazil when I was 18. That was 2002, 2003. And from there on, I started growing the company, acquiring more services. And then I created a, a data center in Brazil where I started, where I had my own services, my own servers. I had other companies doing colocation at that time. So that's when I actually got into like business and doing uh, and trying to expand uh, uh, the offer from the service that we had at the time. Got it. So and this was from, from that, of course, became other endeavors, but always around uh, technology and internet. Very nice. So, sixteen, you had to wait to start the initial entity. I love that. Love that repackaging uh, servers and everything and selling yeah. it. That's that's a true creation of like an arbitrage of taking it from one place and selling it's it to true. another. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it's true. And it's interesting because that whole business nowadays, it although it would be way easier to do the same thing nowadays with the spread of technology, the com- the competition is crazy high, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think that at that time I was at the right place at the right time. That what made me able to to start that that business. Very cool. Very cool. So shifting gears, uh, that was was it. Clickmasters was what. That initial yes. one was all okay. So, what was next, and how long was it before you started the the next venture? Okay, so that was um, around two thousand seven, two thousand eight. In Brazil, we had a social network that was called Orkut. Mm-hmm. That I mean it was from Google, right? Uh, and it was way before Facebook, I think, but it was really popular in Brazil. And Orkut doesn't, didn't have an easy uh, uh, URL so someone could get into your profile. So it was like a really long address they have to share. And then we, we came up with an idea that's called Me Adiciona, that is in Portuguese for like Admi, uh, to create like a business, an online business card where people could add their different social networks and then just tell that address to others and that would be easier for their friends to find them online. So I think that we started like with Orkut and then like Facebook and I don't think there was Instagram at the time. It wasn't popular, but there was like a lot of 
smaller niche networks. And then we created that, that product, actually, um, that was like a freemium. Anyone could hire that online, create their, like their page, their social page, and then just share the link with their friends and their friends would be able to find uh, them in all other, uh, or in all social networks. Cool. Cool. So what were some of the initial drivers like with KPIs? What were you tracking to really define the success of the business? Yeah, I think that at that time we were looking for growth. I mean, we just want to track the largest number of users. Yeah. Uh, when we, I mean, we grew really rapid and were organic. So we got like to around 300,000, 400,000 active users in like in a few months or in a year or two years, something like this. And then, of course, other companies are starting looking for us as a way to attract uh, a customer base. So that's right after that. That's when we made the when I decided to sell the company and they make the 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 exit for from from Ediciona. Nice. And how did those initial conversations begin? Was it a customer? Was it a partner? And did they approach you? How did, how did that work? It, it was actually a, a partner. Uh, there was, uh, they were, they were a social, a social, uh, network. And the reason that they wanted to acquire us is because we were driving a lot of uh, traffic for them and they didn't want to lose that traffic from organic. I mean, it was 2007 organic Google was way different than it is today on Google search. So they, 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 they really need that traffic. They didn't want to lose that traffic. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we were in a point that, or we would close the company or we would have to sell the company. Uh, and then we, we, we got in, engaged with them and then they decided to purchase. But it was way more because of the traffic and the, the database that we created than from the service itself. Mm, got it. Got it. And w- did you work with like an intermediary, with a broker? Did, they, did you shop it around to multiple different buyers? No, at that time it was like straightforward. It was like we had, we had a good offer and then we decided to sell. There was no broker. Nobody, nobody was assisting us in that process. Got it. But again, it was 2010, I think. So the market itself was completely different than we what we have today, right? Mm-hmm. And then we were in Brazil, not in the U.S. So, I mean, there's way more difference in the scenario. Yeah, yeah. And for for young entrepreneurs listening that are maybe operating a business, they're you know growing it and they're thinking about potentially exiting, what tips could you give them around timing? Like, why was it the right time for you? Like, obviously, the 2010 market was much different than we are in today. But what kind of tips could you share around timing? Sure. Well, I think that at that time, the decision came to sell because we were not, we we didn't find a way to make that project become uh, profitable. That was that was the main that was the main reason, and we were not able to raise capital at that time. So we figured out that was a good time timing for for the company. But on my next experience, other other experience that I had before after that, I'm sorry, raising capital and then selling selling the companies. Uh, I would say that the best moment for you to sell is not when things are not doing well. It's when you don't think that you can deliver the most of value for the company. So if you don't have someone that you can that can help you to get to that point, uh, that to the next stage of growth, then it's it's a good time for you to find someone to sell because it's way better to sell when things are going good than when things are going bad, right? So when you start feeling that mm, I'm not that right person to be here or I'm not interested in this anymore, I got to start a new cycle. You can, of course, there's a lot of marketplace. There's a lot of space for marketplace where you can sell your business really well. And I mean, 
uh, uh, even smaller projects nowadays, they have some value, right? Because it's all about time. If if I can save one year of developing something that has a value for, for someone else. Mm -hmm. So I would say that the best time for you to sell is when things are doing good, not when things are, are going bad. Yeah. Yeah. When the trend is, the trend is your friend going upwards. Yes. <laughs> yes, and with the valuation, like how did you, how did you back into that number? Did they put the offer up first or how did you kind of negotiate with the valuation? No, at that time, I mean, we, we asked, we asked a number was based again on, I mean, the first thing that we did was to find out why they want to purchase us. Yeah. So in that case, it was because of traffic and because of the customer base. So that's how we started coming with a uh, 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 value for that. Because if they were looking for, let's say, for revenue, the company would have zero value for them because the company w was not profitable. Yeah. But we knew how much traffic we were generating for them. So we got that those points that were important for them. And then we came up with a price. I don't remember exactly how we did the, the formula, but it was mostly based on the value that we were already delivering for, for them and not what we wanted, of course, was what we could get from them uh, uh, based on what they were looking for. Yeah. And the, there's a, a beautiful saying around the ability to pitch your business to someone else's vision. Like you, you go from pitching your vision and your business to basically describing what their business could do with yours. And it's like a, a shift in mindset completely of, of saying like, hey, this is how your business could thrive because of, of ours. And this is a great example of that where traffic was the direct way of you know, extracting value for the, for the acquiring company. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I mean, when you're selling a company, it's not that different than when, we are se when you, you're selling your product. I mean, you have to find how are you going to solve someone else's problem, right? If it's your product or your company, I mean, at the end of the day, it's the same thing. So again, if you if you develop a, a, a project that is not making money for you, but you may find a strategic partner that may look, I would take a year to develop that. And you already have that ready. I mean, how much value has, has that to bring the revenue that you could start bringing a year to today? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a matter of finding out what, how someone else can benefit from what you already have. Yeah. We'll get back to the interview in a second. I want to talk first about First Access from Flippa, where you get deals first, 21 days before the rest, actually. There are more buyers and investors than ever looking to acquire online businesses. And with First Access from Flippa, you can gain a competitive edge and beat out the competition. And Flippa is giving you, my dear Exit Podcast listeners, a 30-day free subscription to First Access. So did you know that 67% of businesses go under offer within the first 21 days of listing on Flippa? Yeah, that is true. Things move fast on Flippa. This is where first access comes in. As a buyer or investor, you can get deals 21 days before the rest when you're subscribed to first access. So what do you get? With first access, you'll receive online business listings 21 days before the rest. You get instant NDA access, letting you view everything confidential on Flippa. And this is a key one to save time. 
Third, you can earn premium buyer status, giving you preferential treatment. And this is such a main, main value proposition because as a seller, you're going to only want to talk to premium buyers. That is just a fact. And in my experience, people with these private listings, which is the next value, is they're going to be the ones that are primarily only talking to buyers that have premium buyer status. And the last, most certainly not least, is view exclusive private listings that are only available to premium buyers. So this is the cream of the crop here. So jump the queue today, claim your 30-day first access subscription at flippa.com slash exit. Once again, that's flippa.com slash exit. Now, back to the interview. Well said. And the next one is is around preparedness. This is probably the most frequent question always is people asking how to prepare a business and what what's your kind of take on this? What's the best things that somebody can do proactively with being prepared? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. I think that, again, it's all based on the timing of the, the business. So when you are starting, I mean, there's not so much that you can offer to someone other than what you've already built. Right. Once you get to the stage that my the last comment that I exit right now is like on 80, 90 team members, 7,000 customers, then you have a completely different KPI and completely different uh, uh, compliance that you need to follow on on that. But I would say again, the first thing is to have a clear vision of what you're trying to develop and how you can generate value to others. Uh, and then comes again to your market. So if it's also, if it's traffic or if it's uh, average ticket or if how you can, uh, I mean, opportunities that you know that you can, uh, that someone else, uh, opportunities that you have to upsell to your to your current customer base, even though if you can't do that right now, how much extra cash that could bring so someone else could do that. But I would say that the, the most important thing is that you have uh, a, a good financial control of your operation from day one from why you, how much did you invest, even how much time did you invest, because that has a value too. People usually don't realize that their their time is really value, valuable too. So if you spend like a year developing something, that, that has a value mm-hmm. for, for you and for someone else too. Yeah. So I mean, I would keep track from the base things like on a regular bookkeeping, accounting standpoint from a, a, a time uh, control and uh, um, and even things that you created that uh, may be simple to you, but may be uh, uh, a good additional for someone else. So sometimes when we are coding, we don't figure out that we are solving problems that is not just fit for us, but maybe a good fit for someone else too, mm-hmm. right? And that has a value too. Mm. Yeah, I like that. And with the deal itself. What was the the team size when you guys went through the acquisition? Was it an earnout? Did the team go over to the, the social network that acquired you guys? What was that like? No, no. At that time, we were like a small team. I think that we were n- no more than five people at the company at the okay. time. So it was like completely buyout. They just bought the the name, the domain, the structure, the database, made the transfer, and then we move on to another project. So it was was really, re- really simple process. Nice. Super clean. Super clean. And was the, I guess, was it still around today? I mean, is it still operating? Because it was just a redirect, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, they, they kept running the operation for another like three to five years. But then our could close in Brazil. 
uh, and then other social media. I mean, the market change. Yeah. Nowadays, you don't need to have like a easier way to find you online. I mean, you go to, it's mostly Instagram and then from Instagram, go to other places or TikTok or whatever. So, I mean, the market itself changed. But I think that they kept running the company for another like few years and they, they just redirect the traffic that they needed from us to their website and that was it. Got it. Well said. And the next bit that I wanted to go over was hiring. You mentioned it was only a five five person team. So I have met you know, a good amount of entrepreneurs who kind of travel around in their tribe of, of uh, like a, a small team that they'll continuously do ventures together with. But what could you share around hiring? Because it's, it's very difficult for a lot of people out there to find those initial hires, to not make a misstep in those initial hires. So what kind of tips could you share around hiring? Yeah, hiring is always a, a challenge. Uh, and I, I, I would say that nowadays, it's an even bigger challenge than it was like 10 years ago. Because the market for those that are for developers, product designers, designers, whatever, it's, 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 it's really, really hot right now, right? So mm-hmm. it's hard to find good people for, I mean, that the smaller companies can afford. That's, that's the main thing. So not, 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 uh, on my next endeavor after Mediciona that comes and click masters, I was a giver. Uh, I had the blessing. I was lucky to find people that were young. They were smart, good professionals, but, but they were young. They were looking for a challenge in their life and they're like, you know, like their first main project. Some that would, that would differentiate them from, from others. So that's what I was, uh, that that was the good people that was able to hiring without without a huge budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's different than right now. Right now, in the company that uh, at Global Five, for example, the process of hiring is way more focused and way more structured. So we have like a, a recruiter, we have a full a compliance process, a benefits, and so on. Uh, I would say that the most important thing when you are starting is to find people that think like you. If you bring someone from a large company that they are uh, used to work, let's say, on a Google, it's not going to be easy for them to adapt to work in a small startup with like less resources and having to do everything. Because it's different mindsets, different ways to, to, to work. So I would say that the best thing is to find people with the exactly same mindset that you have at that time. Mm-hmm. Um and then on, later on, when you start getting uh, a size, right, start growing, then you can start uh, bringing people that are like more senior, they're looking for more benefits or like a higher wage, uh, then base it on their knowledge too. So it's like it's way more from what people want to do from, then you go from what people already did. You know, like there's, there's a, a balance on that. Got it. Got it. Well said. So let's move through the next ventures that you did uh, leading up to the current venture. Yeah. So after that, I mean, 2011, I came to the US with my family and spent I spent like a month here traveling. And then I saw the gift cards uh, here. Mm-hmm. It was in like a restaurant. There was gift cards on the table. I said, look, there, I don't see too many gift cards in Brazil. What is, what is this market? Then I started learning about the gift card industry and the prepaid cards came back to brazil like at the end of the vacation and then i created in brazil a prepaid company it's called uh, giver mm-hmm. where we would provide uh, uh prepaid cards so gift cards and 
that could also be used as loyalty cards, loyalty programs for uh, franchise networks. So I came up with the technology. With, I developed that internally. I developed the technology. I came up with the project. I hired uh, uh, young people that wanted to to build their next, their, I mean, their first big thing. And then I started approaching companies around the city that was living. Then we raised capital. So I went to investors, raised our first seed, seed round. We uh, we started acquiring national uh, uh, customers in Brazil, like, big brands with 500 stores, a thousand stores in Brazil. And that's when things started going well. And I developed that company until 2014 when I sold uh, the majority stake of the company for that venture fund. And then I did a complete exit like two or or three years later um, when I sold 100% of my shares to the, the venture fund. And then a few years later, they sold the whole company to a larger group in Brazil too. Oh, nice. Nice. So how big did that team get while you were scaling that up? I think that we got like to about 20 people until 2014, if I'm not wrong. I know that uh, the, the company is still running. Now they probably are getting close to the hundreds uh, uh, employees. But at the time, it was like 17 or 20 people all based in Brazil. Nice. Nice. I always like hearing about products that get built and acquired and that they they still keep running. I think it's such a that's that's like an outlier. Usually it's, you know, run for a couple of years once the founder leaves, it's just kind of falls apart. Um it's kind of how it goes in, in traditional senses, but many times it it works. Sure. Yeah. And and that company, I mean, the ice uh, when I left as co-founder in 2014 because the, that cycle in my life was ended, and I want to come. I want to move to the U.S., so I want to start something different here in the U.S. Uh, although I stepped down as CEO, I had someone that was already working with us, stepping up as a CEO. He kept managing the company for the next five years, and then it, the company was acquired, and they kept the structure as it was. So the CEO that I mean, the CEO that replaced me, he still run at the CEO, but now at that division inside a bigger a bigger uh, software company in Brazil. Nice. Very nice. So that shifts to the finale question. Knowing what you know now, know, knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself 10 years ago? I, I, I like to think that uh, um, not knowing everything, but not knowing too much about something is that uh, is what drives me and drives a lot of entrepreneurs to uh, put themselves in... In uh, to to make themselves starting uh, developing something new, uh, you know, like if we knew everything that we would have to go through to get to where we are, we would probably not start doing that. So, like the ignorance, you know, like that things like oh, I think that I know how to solve that problem, and then let's do it. It's way more important than draw draw the next ten years of your business and try to figure out everything in advance. So my what I, well, actually, I just exited another company. And what I'm doing is like, let me let me find out what I'm going to develop and let me learn the minimum that I need to start doing that. Once I start doing that, that's when I'm going to really learn how it is to be in that industry, how it is to be in that business, and how I, and how I can disrupt that or add value to to that. But if you are waiting for the right time, if you are just preparing yourself to do the first step, you. Actually, you're probably never going to do that. Mm. Well said. Well said. Well, that leads us to what you're working on now. 
What are you building now and where can people learn about it? Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I'm co-founder at Global Fine. That is a banking and a platform for international founders to do business in the U.S. After eight years, I just left as CEO. My co-founder and CEO now took place as CEO. And I'm, I'm focused on USA e-commerce fulfillment. That is actually a spin-off from Global Fine, where we provide logistics service for brands from outside the U.S. that are launching their, their services in the U.S. So we do like general logistics pick and pack, FBA prep for brands that want to sell their products in the U.S., but they don't have like their own operations here in the country. So we are 3PL for international brands. Very cool. Very cool. And what stage are, are you at? Did you just start the kind of 3PL for international brands or is it progressive? <laughs> it, it's actually a spin-off from Global Fine. Okay. Um, well, it started eight years ago, but it really became like a full-time business uh, early this year. Mm. That's when we really did the spin-off and then we started creating the team. So right now we have around 10 people in that in that team for the, the logistics and then we're growing. So this year we did uh, around 40% growth uh, year over year and then we're looking to do another 50 to 6% growth next year. Cool. Very cool. All right. And where can people go and learn more about it? Nice. So yeah, about Global is www.globalfyfy.com and for the fulfillment, usaecommercefulfillment.com. Got it. Very cool. Well, wherever you guys are listening on iTunes or Spotify, the links that Diego mentioned will be in the show notes. But thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story, Diego. Thank you very much, Steve. It was a pleasure. <laughs> 